Wild in the City, exploring how a deeper connection with nature helps an urban city thrive. Hi, I'm Jim Newberry. And I'm Janet Wells. We're with Environment Sandy Springs, and we're your neighbors. So, Janet, I don't know if you heard in the news today, but Norway and the electric vehicle future has already arrived. I know. You sent me the article. and But it is a great one from the New York Times that they are 80% electric, and, uh, and they're 10 years uh, faster than us. We're talking about electric cars by... Uh, 2030, and they're not even going to have combustion engines starting in 2025. That's right. Last year, 80% of new car sales in Norway were electric, and that really puts them at the front of this shift toward uh, battery-powered mobility. That's right. So they've got some challenges, you know, like chargers being available, especially on busy week weekends. In fact, I was just in San Jose, California, and high schools would have chargers there for people now. They're putting them in high schools, and that's something we could do here, too. I mean, they're also in the Trader Joe's parking lot. We can find a couple, but anyway, that that charger availability is very important. Absolutely, but in Oslo, the air is measurably cleaner because of this effort. 30%. And the city is also quieter. And as you said, greenhouse gas emissions are, have fallen 30% since 2009. Now, what really helped this was the government has subsidized these chargers, too. So that means everybody is on board. And then they saw that the grid didn't crash, you know, because people are using electric cars all of a sudden plugging in. And more jobs are created for these uh, chargers that have to be built. And, uh, you know, they didn't lose mechanics because cars break down. Yeah, so the, uh, the worries are a little bit unfounded. There are a few issues, like electric vehicles are heavier and they do throw off uh, uh, rubber from the tires. Yes. Uh, so there's, uh, they're causing more abrasion, but they'll work through these things. That's true. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is Oslo is targeting construction. It's responsible for more than a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. And contractors bidding on public projects are actually winning them because they are using equipment that runs on electricity or biofuels. Yeah, which is very smart. And this is reducing nitrogen oxide levels as well, which we have in abundance here and causing asthma and all the different health problems that we're having. What I noticed here is the mindset changed, that people were willing to to go this way. And so there were innovators. And, of course, Tesla is an innovator, right? And he's the, that's the most popular car there. But there's the Nissan Leaf. There are a lot of them. But the innovators are what are important in this world. And we happen to have one as a guest today on our show. Yes, we do. Uh, please welcome Sally Bethea, retired executive director of Chattahoochee Riverkeeper and environmental and sustainability advocate. Her award-winning Above the Waterline column appears monthly in Atlanta in town. 
Sally has a new book out called Keeping the Chattahoochee. Well, thank you so much, and hello. The initial inspiration came from another a book I read uh, by someone who is a scientist and uh, amazing writer uh, called The Forest Unseen by David Haskell. And uh, he had for a year gone to a forest up in Tennessee and over visited it every week or 10 days or so and wrote about what he saw and what he observed. And so I thought, you know, I'm retired. I'm retired from Chattahoochee Riverkeeper now. Uh, it's now eight and a half years. And um, but it was this was actually 2019 when I had this epiphany and I thought I'm going to find a place probably near the river, which it was. And just go out by myself, walk, be attentive, be more mindful. So I did this beginning in May of 2019. And it was really in, in a big way life-changing to pay attention rather than rushing around like I had done mothering and river keeping. I have two sons for so many years. I actually just went slowly and mindfully. And so every time I would take this trail, this wonderful trail I'd never walked before down to the Chattahoochee in the national park that we're so lucky to have, uh, it would trigger a memory from my two decades as the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper. And I kept thinking of all these stories, you know, some funny, some horrifying, some challenging, frustrating and all that. And I thought, what if I write a book and in each chapter, I take a walk at the river and write about uh, what I'm seeing and then talk about the memory that is evoked and tell a story. It's not chronological. You know, it's like memories are. They come and go. And so I put this manuscript together and I thought, well, perhaps my sons will read it when they're, you know, in their 70s, when they're my age. And then I thought, maybe I'll pass it on and see if it can be published. Wonderful. Um, what would you say were some of your biggest challenges during those years that you were the river keeper? Oh, there were, there were so many. I mean, you know, we forget this was started, we started 30 years ago. And so frankly, being a woman and being an environmentalist, uh, particularly in that time, uh, when it was dominated and still is to some extent by uh, white Men, you know, I had to prove myself continually. And my background is not as a scientist, but I do have a master's from Georgia Tech in environmental planning, and I had worked for EPA and so forth. But the challenges were to be able to find my own voice, speak up in a strong, articulate way, and make the arguments for the river based in fact and science, uh, understanding the economic implications, but also the importance of, of protecting this resource for not just current, but also future generations. And it was very hard because an awful lot of elected officials and certainly uh, folks in the development industry did not want to hear it. Uh, they, you know, really, uh, you know, tried in some cases to sort of, um, you know, make make light of what we were doing. But I think they realized how serious my organization and I were when we took the city of Atlanta to federal court in 1995, just a year before the Olympics, and sued the city over its chronic sewage overflows and won 
and got the city to spend the money to fix $2 billion to fix its infrastructure. I think they realized we knew what we were talking about <laughs> and maybe they should pay attention. That's right. That's right. Oh, yay, Sally. Kudos to you. Yes, kudos to you. Well, no, it's really a kudos. You know, this whole Riverkeeper, Waterkeeper movement is something that that was invented elsewhere. I just was lucky uh, to be in the right place when the Atlanta's Ted Turner's foundation Oh, yeah. wanted someone to start the new organization in 94. But we had this template of other water keepers and river keepers on the Hudson, out in San Francisco Bay, Delaware River and such. And we also had something and still have, thankfully, Congress, a bipartisan Congress, had 50 plus years ago passed the Federal Clean Water Act. And that uh, law allowed us to get into court when Everything else failed. We tried the nice route talking. We tried the, you know, every kind of path we could to stop the chronic sewage into streams and neighborhoods and into the Chattahoochee River. And it just didn't work. And so we said, well, our last resort, we'll use the Federal Clean Water Act. Um, it's a very important law, again, passed in 1972. So, so it, it really, I was just the vehicle at the time and I was allowed to help grow this organization that certainly thrives even more so today with my successors. Yeah, that that is how it goes because it was the right timing. It was. Timing is is exactly right. So um people love trees, so why can't the loss of tree canopies seem to be addressed by urban cities? Well, you know, I think in some places, uh, you know, around our country, there's, you know, a, a greater willingness. Um, elected officials are more willing and understanding of protecting trees because what you're doing, you know, you, you're protecting, um, you're doing a lot of things when you're protecting tree canopies, obviously. Um, you're, if there are long streams, you're helping keep the waters cool. Um, you're helping filter any pollutants that might get into streams and rivers. Um, you're certainly uh, reducing the temperature. And in uh, urban heat islands like the city of Atlanta, uh, one of the biggest frightening threats of climate change, frankly, is the uh, likelihood that we're going to see some incredibly hot weather. So it just, you know, you're right. It makes sense to protect trees. Um, what, you know, I've seen in the city of Atlanta has been Pretty, pretty interesting, uh, and I've written about this in uh, in town or in Atlanta, in town. Um, you know, we know the science, we get it, but the development industry has a huge amount of clout. Um, you know, they are fund a lot of the people who we end up electing, and um, there is, particularly in Georgia, uh, always has been a mantra of more growth, more development, better for everybody. And that's not really true. It's how you grow and where you grow. You know, growth is not just good in and of itself. Sure, it. it but but if you own a piece of property. And there's some big old trees on it. And I live down in Ansley Park in the middle of Midtown Atlanta. And we've got a wonderful tree canopy, but I've seen some monster buildings and houses going up on sites and giant trees being lost because they get more square footage, making more money. It's all about the money. Exactly. So why is it, and we call it pay to play by developers, why is it that it's still going on? 
when we know the value of the trees, the tree canopy, how it protects the streams, I mean, how can it be stopped? Well, I mean, to, to my mind, I mean, in terms of stopped, we've got to look at a lot of strategies. I mean, there are benefits to having more dense urban areas, right? I mean, in terms of when we're looking at the big picture, we've really got to look at climate change. Climate change is really the big kahuna here. And 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 trees and tree canopy is, is a very important solution. There's a group called Drawdown Georgia that puts out some great materials about what we can do solutions and you know green areas tree areas are are critical um you know i mean i always tell people i mean being as informed as possible um you know is important and certainly voting and understanding what your elected officials um you know what their beliefs are and and, and help inform them they can't know everything about every topic but really it also comes down to having a, a system, and I will say it takes a leader. You know, I got involved when Roy Barnes was governor in, in something, a stream buffer rule or regulation, and he pushed both sides until we kind of met in the middle. We have not yet seen, and I'm only familiar really with the city of Atlanta, where I live, we've not seen anybody in a real leadership position say, okay, developers, and environmentalists and tree experts, I'm gonna put you in the room and I'm gonna push every one of you until we come up with a system that works, that is not vague, that makes sense, that gives some bit of certainty to the development community as to what the rules are. Um, and, and so you've really gotta have that kind of leadership uh, of somebody who will take up and the matter and you know there's so many priorities today affordable housing uh, many other things in the city and i have not seen somebody really grapple with that shirley franklin when she was mayor she became the sewer mayor she was flat out going to get that done and she did even more um and she brought people together who were far apart and and helped you know pull them to a place where we have um, much cleaner, dramatically cleaner streams and a dramatically cleaner Chattahoochee uh, today. She knew that our federal judge, who found in Chattahoochee Riverkeeper's favor, was going to um, make sure something was done, and so she went with it. So again, leadership to your question. I think leadership is critical. City of Atlanta's had a tree ordinance since 2014. And uh, or excuse me, for 20 years. But since 2014, everyone's known that it's not working. Developers kick the can down the road. They they make a one small improvement or another one, and then they kick the can down the road. Money is at the root. Money follows the money always. Money, money, money. I liked. Uh, I think you mentioned Chandra Farley and that she terms herself a people partner. Uh, that yeah. seemed like a pretty good approach. Well, and I think, you know, absolutely, um, you know, I found in my two decades of being the Riverkeeper that, you know, we got a lot done um, by partnering with people and businesses and government agencies. But I, I will tell you, um, in my experience of more than 40 years doing this sort of work, when it comes down to something that's hard and controversial, uh, and it's going to cost somebody some amount of money to get it done. Even if everybody agrees that thing needs to get done, it will not unless you have a forcing factor of some sort. 
And that's where the Clean Water Act came in. We tried, I mean, we tried to talk to Bill Campbell and everybody else back in the day about <laughs> fixing the sewer system. But uh, sweet talk only goes so far when it's on certain issues. So, so can we get a seat at the table for the environment when discussing growth in our cities? Well, uh, we've had a seat at the table for a long time, for decades. Um, you know, there are many. The good thing is there are many wonderful nonprofit organizations uh, today that, that have emerged largely in the last 30 years that uh, have expertise of, you know, engineering, law, science, all kinds of things. And we often we always have at least some seat at the table somewhere. But. Again, unless there's some sort of a forcing factor to make everybody come together and come with some kind of a compromise, and again, I get back to leadership, we have operated in many so-called stakeholder groups over the decades, and the particular tactic, whether you're talking about uh, big whatever, corporate entities, uh, interests, agricultural community, at the 12th or 11th hour, they come in and say, well, we didn't really agree to all that, and, and we don't go with it. So you've got to have a leader or some sort of tool if you're really making big, big changes. The good news is that I'd like to say in the last 30 years, people get it so much more than they did when I was growing up in Atlanta in the 60s. And so a lot of progress has been made. You know, you go to any company, they've got a chief sustainability officer. 15 years ago, that would never have happened. So, you know, I see progress and I like it, but I'm also impatient. And I think it's okay to be both things. Oh, I do too. Because uh, it now is the time, especially with climate change, it's here. I mean, they can't say it's yes. not real. It's We're That's watching right. it. We're seeing it happen. Right. So we have a lot, a lot to do. You said that pro-growth boosters brag about our tree canopy or our streams while they are often the same people opposing meaningful improvements to our city's tree protection ordinance mm -hmm. which is just what you said so how yeah. do we, so how do we change this <laughs> i mean do we well have, yeah go ahead get on finish your question i'm well, sorry i, I mean how laughing. do we change this behavior is it going to take attorneys and Finding old laws? What? Well, you know, I mean, it's really, I don't know, with, with local land use laws, how, how a piece of property is developed or not, what incentives there are, what regulations there are, you find those decisions being made and policies at the local level. So it's your city council, it's your planning commission, it's your mayor, um, or it's those folks who need to be willing to, to step out and um, make an issue a priority among the many priorities that they have and be willing to take the heat or the, the, the glory. Um, you know, in terms of people talking on both sides of their mouth, uh, I've seen a lot more of it in the last decade. So I think things are getting worse, not better. But, um, you know, but then it maybe it's some kind of cognitive, I don't know, strangeness. I think people can see a big picture and they see all the trees and they do love it. And, and you know, everyone loves that in Atlanta, although I will tell you the number of healthy trees lost to development rose by 100 percent from 2021 to 2022 in the city of Atlanta. No kidding. And, you know, yet yet our residents repeatedly, you know, uh, and overwhelmingly support tree protection. So what's happening? 
um, I know that some of the groups that are involved in this more than I have actually been are really looking very smartly at preserving some of the large uh, remnants of old growth forests that still exist in the city. You know, yes, one tree, two trees, obviously they add up and they're important, but where we have clusters, we need to find ways and incentives to, um, you know, to protect these large tracks, like uh, the Lake Charlotte Preserve in the city, um, some of these other areas. We're lucky to have the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area, um, which is more than 5,000 uh, acres and um, many old growth remnants. In fact, in my book, that's, I walk through some of these forests, this forested area to the river. Um, but uh, I think, again, be informed, Vote, understand your local elected officials, what their feelings are on things, support groups that get into the wonky nitty gritty of the ordinance provisions and rules and regulations. Um, and try to find there are developers who we found who who want to work something out. They're just sadly a minority. Ah. Mm-hmm. Does does media pressure help? Is that an answer or is that one of the tools? Oh. Well, absolutely. Journalists, um, for sure, journalists, photographers, filmmakers, um, you know, telling stories, helping people see and understand things will raise that awareness and hopefully activate uh, people to see that we are all connected. I mean, the trees, the critters, the water, humans, we, we are all part of a very, you know, diverse ecosystem. And, and we really, you know, we all f- f- are important elements of this tapestry of life. And so uh, that's what uh, we need to inform. And I work very closely with an awful lot of journalists. And I've often said without the media and smart lawyers, our work at Chattahoochee Riverkeeper would not be quite as successful. Ah. <laughs> well, who would you say is effective for us in the media? Who are who are our writers? I mean, is, is there someone environment Sandy Springs could approach? Um... Well, you know, again, I think that um, I have Rarely have I found, uh, you know, journalists are usually curious, investigative sort of people, whether it's TV, radio or um, print. And so you have all the wonderful media opportunities in a market like uh, Metro Atlanta. And I don't think I found anyone who really said, nah, I'm not interested in environmental story. (laughs) You have to think. You have to think of what the readership, what's the audience, again, for um, whether you're looking at Sandy Springs, what do the people there think about? You've got a long border, municipal border along the Chattahoochee River. I mean, that's a huge benefit there. Um, and so um, I think if you, you you come up with some some good stories and an, an issue Positive or negative or in the middle, something that needs to be revealed. Um, I haven't had any trouble pitching stories over the years. Not too often that I can remember anyway. <laughs> we have an, uh, a 32-acre, I think, uh, plot of land right on the Chattahoochee. Part of it is an Atlanta water pumping station, but it's just full of uh, diverse wildlife. It's it's incredible. I think uh-huh. that that may make a good story. Mm-hmm. And we discovered two rare bats in there. 
Cool. Exactly. And, you know, and what I found, you know, local papers, local community papers are the ones people often read more than, frankly, the national papers. So um, we are so lucky. The Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area, when I was at Georgia Tech, I actually worked on the very first management plan after Jimmy Carter signed the bill to create the park. And um, so I've always been very, you know, close to that that park in many ways. And we're very lucky. There was a group back then called Friends of the River, and they did two things. Uh, They helped establish this park, bringing in money to uh, acquire the land before developers got too close. And they also helped pass a state law protecting land use and construction within 2,000 feet of each side of the river. Um, And so protecting the steep slopes, the floodplains, that sort of thing. And so those uh, far-thinking people in the 70s and early 80s really set the stage and at least for that part of the river made things easier for my work with Chattahoochee Riverkeeper, which began in the 90s. Um, but again, they were really only focused in um, sort of more North Atlanta part of the Chattahoochee. The Riverkeeper focuses on the on the watershed, the river basin from the little spring above Helen where it starts all the way down to the Florida Panhandle. In a small way, that's been our only recourse with developers because you have to be 75 feet from a blue line creek or rill or whatever, a stream, because um, that you pollute it otherwise. But other than that, they can just clear cut right away. So I think in my mind, trees have rights. And they, they, we not only have rights to have them, but they have rights. If they're a certain size and they absorb a lot of carbon, they shouldn't be allowed to be cut down. If they're spe- what, what used to be called specimen trees, they got rid of that. Uh-huh. You, you used to have uh-huh. to draw them on your plan, and now you don't have to do that. Well, they have to be valued for their contribution. Is there a tree ordinance in Sandy Springs? I don't really know. Do you all have a tree ordinance? There is. Uh, it needs some help. It needs. That's one of the things. That's one of our missions. uh, Yeah, is to to work with them on the tree ordinance, and it's going to begin in sincerity, twenty twenty four. I think that's when they start working. Well, good. And there's a lot of expertise that you can bring. I will tell you that uh, you know I'm not informed of every single ordinance within Metro Atlanta municipalities, but. It's typical that that 75-foot buffer that developers can get a waiver to bring it down to only 25 feet. That happens sometimes. The 25 feet is a state law, and they can also get a, a waiver there, but it's much harder. And Chattahoochee Riverkeeper has worked uh, relentlessly over the years to uh, help people understand the importance of a, of a vegetated riparian buffer to the streams, uh, to keep them cool, keep pollution out, and so forth, and a wildlife corridor as well. Keeping up with all of that is uh, super important, and I think Sandy Springs sounds like you're doing some good things. You just, I will tell you, and I say this throughout my book, you know, persistence. It's the name of the game. You know, I mean, there are things that took us 10, 15, 20 years to finally accomplish. So uh, you got to be in it for the long term. Mm -hmm. Might the pro-development folks respond to a campaign based on bragging rights or pride to be in one of the cities in Georgia with the highest percentage of tree canopy in the state? Would they react to that? 
Well, certainly uh, anybody, uh, any individual, I think, or, or any business, if uh, you give them awards for something they've done to uh, actually improve the community in terms of the natural environment, which is really improving it for people, uh, that's a great way. You know, the old, I mean, there's the carrot certainly and the stick. Um, there's a group called the Georgia Water Coalition that I helped form 20 some years ago. Oh, I belong and every to it. Year, mm-hmm. Good. Well, every year they, uh, they give, <laughs> they put out a dirty dozen report. And right. Some of the horrors. And then they do an, uh, a clean 13 and they, uh, look around to see which businesses, which local governments, which people have uh, really taken a strong step forward to do something that, um, you know, will help everyone. That's that's the notion, you know. So one of the things Chattahoochee Riverkeeper is very involved with is um, dealing with storm runoff and, and those sorts of pollutants. And that is one way toxins can, you know, get into rivers. Um, progress still has been made there, um, but then we find the emerging issues such as microplastics or the forever chemicals as we're learning about um, that uh, Teflon stuff that Mm -hmm. I certainly remember my mother cooking with and the little plastic strands, you know, oh, so easy to cook with. Well, now we find out they're horribly, it's cancer causing and and in the water. So we got to be vigilant. We've, We've got to have a strong state federal environmental agencies. We've never had a really strong uh, environmental agency here in Georgia. The Environmental Protection Division um, has been dubbed by some the Environmental Permitting Division. But you can understand <laughs> when when you see their bosses. Um, I actually served for seven and a half years on the Georgia Board of Natural Resources, appointed by Roy Barnes, the last Democrat governor. The last 18 years, the people nominated to that board, which makes all the decisions about rules and regulations on the environment in Georgia, um, the folks are largely campaign contributors. That's understandable. But they have not a single one has any background in science or natural resources, uh, environmental protection, anything like that. You know, they represent the big, big dollar interests and it's also very white and very male Uh, the board is and so but how did that happen the governor appoints every single one of those positions so well what are your thoughts about the chattahoochee river act yeah i mean you know we're thrilled certainly that john ossoff who uh, is a young man who actually went to school with my sons at the paideia school in atlanta really Um, he's an amazing uh young man yes and the Chattahoochee River Act has a lot of potential. We'll see how it unfolds. Um, basically, as you may know, it brings about $40 million uh, in, in federal funds through the core, of, the U.S. Corps of Engineers, and it authorizes that agency to work on water projects up and down our river, the Chattahoochee, um, whether they are ecological restoration projects or improvements to wastewater treatment systems, sediment reduction projects. It could be, as I understand it, almost anything. Um, So we we won't see it unfold until the Corps of Engineers 
puts out some material on how they're going to manage that pot of money and how they're going to prioritize applicants. My folks at the, our folks at the Chinese Riverkeeper say that, um, you know, it's a great tool to to kind of force in a way, but encourage, I should say, encourage federal, state, local governments and private entities to work together with some funding to make the river better. Right. So um, and, and I'm in, very hopeful. You think you think that we can in Sandy Springs like could use utilize this act to enforce regulations? Uh, it's not it, it's not an enforcement tool. There are I will tell you there are plenty of laws on the books for city of Sandy Springs, uh, whether state laws, local ordinances or the Federal Clean Water Act. The laws are there. It's the resolve that is usually missing. And I'm not totally familiar with everything, of course, going on in Sandy Springs. But um, this Chattage River Act does not bring any new enforcement provisions or any new, as I understand it, um, direction to uh, enforce existing laws. It's basically uh, an incentive, a carrot, funds for people to work together to make the river better. So, yeah. I know they're talking, Sandy Springs is talking about putting a bridge across the river to provide more access to the forest. Yeah, there there are a lot of, there's also the the, Chatt- the Riverlands Project, if you're familiar with Chattahoochee Riverlands, which is an initiative of the Trust for Public Land and many, many other entities and uh, focused on a hundred plus mile section of the Chattahoochee. It'll be a multimodal path, which they hope to create over the next 20 years, um, you know, a fabulous idea to make connections from Beaufort Dam all the way downstream uh, below Atlanta. Um, as again, it's always the devil's in the details, how the how things get constructed. And um, and so I'm sure there'll be plenty of people working with TPL and others to keep a, an eye on all of that. We we got to protect those green Buffers along our waterway. Absolutely. Right. Important. And right. in our neighborhoods yeah. and everything. I wish the, that the uh, Water Act uh, that you used from, what, 40 years ago, you said, when it came out, Clean Clean Water Act. Clean Water Act, Yeah, yes. could be used in our streams and our neighborhoods and saying, you know, you can't just. Well, let... it can. It, it actually can be, but it just, it creates a system related to point and non-point source pollution. And it, the Clean Water Act creates a regulatory system that in, in the state of Georgia is carried out by the Environmental Protection Division. Um, what I think it's frustrating to some folks, certainly you all and, and me and my neighborhood and elsewhere, again, is it local land use, how you take a piece of property and develop it. Um, that has been left to local governments. The thinking was the federal government and even the state government really shouldn't be in the business of telling people whether they can put four units or 25 units on of a condo on a piece of property. Does that make sense? Yes. I wonder if yeah. you could almost do a, a coalition of uh, architects and landscape designers that are community. In other words, from, for instance, from Sandy Springs that could come together and discuss land use issues. Mm-hmm. Or maybe add an attorney to that, too. Right. 
I, I would add a lawyer to that. <laughs> no, I think that that makes sense. But um, again, um, there are some great plans out there, but plans, land use plans, um, even with all the best intentions, uh, are not enforceable rules and regulations. And so they are guideposts. And so uh, as we've seen over there in the South uh, River Forest in the city, Oh, well, in Atlanta and DeKalb County, where there was a massive uh, for 20 years plan to preserve green space, and now it's being proposed for a uh, police training facility. Oh, so terrible. that there was a plan, there was a plan there. Um, so the the thing is to make sure again that that the people we elect, the local decision makers, are invested in the plans and find ways to try to ensure that when um, decisions are made, zoning decisions, that sort of thing, that they mesh with those plans. Um, being a litigious society, though, um, a lot of folks in the development community have got some sharp lawyers and, you know, the usual argument is, but I can make more money here if I do X rather than Y. And you know, money, money, money. I'll say it a thousand times. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, and it's tough to put a value, although it's, po it's possible, and we've done it in some cases, but it can be tough to put a value, a dollar value on natural resources, because there's some things you just can't, you know, what is it worth to walk in a in, in a forest with a clean stream and just what that does for your psyche and your soul? I mean, it, I don't know. Well, What's with all the, the mental, all the mental health issues today, it's it's got value. Mm -hmm. I think also totally. Yeah, we need to take a real good look at that as to the value of nature, our trees, our clean streams in dollars and cents. You know, you know, air conditioning alone, or uh, being a, a hot spot like Atlanta is, or big cities. Totally. Like. Mm -hmm. And there are those arguments. Again, it all comes down to who's making the decisions and and who is is uh, uh, urging them in one direction rather than another. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful. I wouldn't be in this business or have spent the last forty plus years if I if I wasn't somewhat hopeful. But incrementalism is not the way to go you know uh we, we've got to got to move seriously and effectively on climate change and we've got to got to pay attention to that that's become my mantra and i've focused on it in a, in a lot of my columns have there been any advances on point source pollution mitigation like really stopping it at the source? Well, point source, just to, to yes, so your your folks listening understand, that is a, a pipe that uh, under the Federal Clean Water Act, if you're a municipality, you're treating people's waste, that they flush the toilet, or you're an industry and you're making something and you've got wastewater, you've got to treat it to a certain level before you send it out that pipe, that point source into a waterway. Um, our waters are resilient. They can handle a certain amount of, uh, you know, wastewater if treated to the appropriate levels. And the truth is that most point sources uh, have been dealt with, again, thanks to the Clean Water Act. Um, you know, the, the city of Atlanta's uh, we were able to, to prevail on that. Um, those pipes, 
which had for decades sent out untreated or insufficiently treated sewage. So, um, you know, rivers and lakes and the ocean are going to continue to be the repository of our waste. The issue is treating it adequately ahead of time and, um, you know, abiding by the permits. What I mentioned earlier, the big issue today is storm runoff, the runoff that takes heated, uh, oil-filled, toxin-filled at times, sediment uh, uh, into the river when it rains. And we know in the southeast we're going to have a lot more rainstorms, stronger, more intense storms, as well as longer periods of drought. So we're going to see things uh, a little more dramatically. And so a lot of the work these days is looking at uh, innovative ways to, um, you know, protect green space and um, green infrastructure, it's called, um, and do other things to absorb that rainwater. Yes. So it doesn't go rushing off and flooding. I mean, you know, flooding is terrible for, for homeowners and businesses and such. I'm more worried about, frankly, about the microplastics that we're consuming in our drinking water, the uh, forever chemicals, the P PF, uh, PFAS if, uh, chemicals that we know about and that the industries have known about for 40 years. There's a movie called Dark Waters, which explains that uh, horror. Those are the things I'm, I'm much less worried, frankly, about the organic material, which can be uh, treated. And in truth, um, the bacteria uh, in, in a river, it usually, if the source is not continuing, it dies out in three or four days. Bacteria do not like cold water. They That's why they like the insides of people, mammals, <laughs> I should say, not just people. So anyway, that's the way I feel about it. <laughs> well, uh, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners about how to have local impact? You know, I, I mean, just to to reiterate, you know, most people don't really know who their state representatives are, or even they may know the mayor, but but maybe not the council people that represent them. Um, you know, they want to hear from you, and um, you know, don't be shy. Certainly, vote. Uh, don't be shy, and and work to make it possible for everyone to vote. It's our right in this country. Um, and then don't be shy about contacting them. They're your representative and ask questions. And if you are an expert on something, then provide some, some information. Um, you know, I feel like some of the best progress we can make can be at our local levels. Um, and then corporations, if you work for a business, um, maybe there are ways that things can be done that are uh, less damaging to the environment. Um, and then there's all the usual stuff, you know, um, about anyway, I drive a hybrid car. I'll probably I'll get an electric car the next one. Um, I, I love vegetables, but I really have become vegetarian in the last five years um, because for health and also for uh, climate change. That's um, right. The amount of uh Greenhouse gas is produced for a pound of beef. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. That's right. Um, and I don't need it, you know. Right. I don't like it. Yeah. So there are a lot of little things you can do and big things. Yes, there are. Well, Sally, thank you so much for being helpful in the past and here today. <laughs> here today, writing your columns, publishing, publishing a book, um, 
We thank you for being with us. Yes, thank you thank so you much. Thank you for inviting me. You're yeah. the best. Thank you both. And I just wanted to remind our listeners that Sally's new book, Keeping the Chattahoochee from UGA Press, is that right? That's right. You can do that. Just go online and you can uh, also look for book events that will be uh, coming around in the future. Chattahoochee Nature Center, um, the Carter Center, uh, and all points throughout the Southeast. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sally. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by Environment Sandy Springs. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode wherever you get your podcast or see it on our website, environment-sandysprings.org. Until Until next time, cheers. cheers!